Hello everyone, this is the Indian Sinophilist Dev Puranik and today I have with me a very very special guest, Jonathan Katz, uh, our judge for you know the PSA trials that happened last weekend, um, three time PSA 3, uh, you know he's trial titled three PSA 3 dogs and an absolute legend in the sport and we have the good fortune of you know having a conversation with him and hopefully you know, asking questions that will help us going ahead in our training. I'm Hello. really honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So, one of the, like, you know, so I, I just want to start off with, uh, you were here in 2019 for the trials that happened then. And now that you're here in 2022, and it's, it's like, you know, a lot has changed in terms of the training, mm -hmm. the decoys, and, you know, uh, I mean, in general, the level of training, right? Yeah. So, how soon do you see, I mean, maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but how do, soon do you see someone from India getting a threes, maybe? I'd say you guys are probably <coughs> maybe three to four years away. Yeah, you okay. think it is, it'll happen so soon? Yeah, because again, as you said, like the level of training from when I was here last time, you know, you guys are super passionate. All the Indian trainers are very passionate. They're very competitive. Um, they put a, they put a ton of work into their dogs. It's super impressive that, for the most part, they do this all without e collars. And you know, the dogs really like. The dogs love to look at the handlers, right? Because you guys have such a bond with your dog. The one deficit that I saw when I was here in 2019 is, you know, getting that protection to meet what the obedience was, right? Mm -hmm. So I call this like the scales of justice, right? So obedience and protection, and we want them to be equal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I had a bunch of dogs try to eat me in the trial, <laughs> right? Which, you know, really, you know, it shows that, you know, you guys have really stepped up your training. You learned from your mistakes, and you guys came back with a vengeance. And that was so cool for me to see the progress in such a short period of time that you guys have come so far was was really impressive to me. Thank you. As you know, as competitors, like you've seen us now, like most of us in, compete in 2019 and even right now. Like, what are some of the thing, things that we can do better? You know, as as an approach towards the higher levels in PSA. Um, definitely the understanding of compounded stress. Um, you know, like one scenario leads into the other, which leads into the other. And when it comes to stress, one scenario bleeds into the other, which bleeds into the other, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I try to do a lot of hope sessions with my dog. So like heavy stress and then go to fun. And then heavy stress and then go to fun. You know, stress alleviate, right? And we teach the dog how to channel their own drives and basically how to stay calm, but stay in that, you know, heightened state of aggression, you know, channel. Okay, we go from one scenario to another, dog has to calm down. This is the few seconds, you know, 10, 15, 30 seconds that the dog has to basically relax and then go to the next scenario. So, you know, go crazy, go calm, go crazy, go calm. Um, you know, so when it comes to that compounded stress, like the whole idea of from PDC is only three bites, PSA one, you know, four or five bites. And each time you go, it basically at each level, we start adding more stress, right? And so, you know, the one thing that I would say would basically be understanding the alleviation of stress and not like this is a very big mistake that we see in the States, right? 
people like just put stress, put stress, put stress. And then the dog looks good in training, but then it'll bleed out in trial because the dog never feels that they ever get to win. We never freeze up and then stop and work backwards, work grips, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, like, so when I'm training my dog for the ones, I'm not gonna practice courage tests. Obviously, I wanna see my dog do a full courage test once to show that the dog will do it. Yeah, yeah. But then I'm having my decoy charge down, drop the bag, and then flee backwards, right? So I want the dog to think at any moment, ha ha, this guy's afraid of me, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And these little, little, like, it's like, you know, mind games with the dog of like, hey, at any moment, the person's going to be scared of you. This definitely helps. Right. So but the decoy is not afraid, but the decoy can show fear. It's like in a boxing match. I punch someone in the face and they don't move or I punch someone in the face and they, you know, take topple back a couple steps like, oh, OK, that was a confidence boost. Right. Whereas right, when you right. punch the person in the face and they never even re like every 80s movie had, um, you know, like a Russian guy that got punched in the face and he never even flinched yeah. and his yeah. head never moved. And then the guy was like, oh, okay. That was a confidence killer, right? right? So we want to give the dogs these little confidence boosts, but we still have to show them that level of pressure, right? And to see you and your group of that, you guys have really prepared your dogs. Like it made me really happy to see your obedience and your protection, you know, the scales of justice be equal, you know? But obviously there's always the growing pains. There's going right. to be the growing pains of... You know, think about it this way. The first international PSA three was last season was Charles yeah, from yeah, South Africa. Yeah. You know, like, you know, we've exported to many different countries and this is the first one. But if you study Charles, Charles studied and he watched every video he could and he spoke to every competitor. You know, when he told me after the trial that he called Jerry and asked Jerry, what does Jonathan like to see? And I was like, I was impressed. I was impressed that someone's doing their research to try to figure out, okay, what can give me that competitive edge? It's not cheating. It's just a competitive edge. Yeah. What can help me understand? Like think about um, football teams or soccer teams or whatever it is. They will watch their the, the team they're about to compete against their plays and see how their formations are and see how they do yeah. everything. Yeah. And, you know, this is just going to make you more successful. And clearly it's made him more successful. Obviously, he has the correct dog. He's a really good trainer. So there's all these factors into play. But again, the Indian trainers are very passionate. They're very competitive. They want to do well. They train their dogs. And so I, I don't think, I think in four years, I think you could do it. Like to think that we had four dogs going for their twos, yeah. right? And a bunch of them like almost got Long legs, day, right? Yeah. Varun got his first leg, which is huge for India. But Sunita Mom almost got a leg. Bunty almost got a leg, yeah. you know? Um, so like, think about we're really there. And if we'd have, you know, the more trials we have, yeah. the more success, cause you have to think about it as gambling, right. right? I'm putting my chips on the table and I'm not going to win every hand, but if I put my chips on, like people say, my favorite game is roulette. Okay. And people are like, well, you can't win in roulette cause it's a game of chance, but that's not true. If I play the same numbers over and over again, the chance of those numbers hitting is going to be higher. Right. So like the more cards, the more cards I put on the table, the more times I show my dog and my dog is prepared is the more chances of pictures that my dog's seen. But this is part of the growing pains. Right. right so, right. you know, like everyone learns from everyone else's mistakes. <laughs> History is bound to repeat itself. But if you don't learn from other people's mistakes, then, you know, then you're just going to repeat the same mistakes yourself. You know, I kept explaining to everyone like what a big deal it was for 
you know, now ha to have upper level dogs, right? For many, many years, PSA was two sports, PDCs and ones, and then twos and threes. And the drop off after the ones was like, I'd say at least maybe 70%, 80%, huge drop off. And then maybe, you know, 10, 15% maybe get their twos. And then, you know, there's like a 5% would get their threes. Like very, very small margins. And, you know, you have to think about going to the upper levels, what the failure rate is. Like you have to be okay with failure. PSA is the most humbling sport or the humbling thing, most humbling thing I've ever done in life, right? And if you're not okay with failure, this is not the sport for you. Right. But the reason why we do PSA, the reason why you do PSA, you know, like you like the challenge. You want to pick the most difficult thing to do because if you're successful, then it shows how elite your dogs are, how elite your training is. And, you know, as a country, how elite India is as dog trainers, right? Like it was such a big deal for India become, you know, a PSA to become the first protection sport in India. Like you guys pick the hardest sport to do, you know, like obviously there's some people that are dabbling in IPO yeah. or IGP, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, like they still have to go to Europe to trial. Yeah. This yeah. is unrealistic. You know, the average person cannot go. And then if I'm going to go to Europe, I now have to spend a few weeks there, yeah. acclimate my dog. You know, when, when my club was getting ready for nationals, well, our, we have to think about like as a, as a competitor, I'm thinking about everything. Okay. So where I live, I'm at sea level. I leave, I live six blocks from the beach. So my, my elevation's like 60 feet. Mm -hmm. Well, West Virginia is a thousand feet. And we don't realize that how that affects the dog's breathing, how that affects the dog's performance. Well, I brought my uh, my dog Cougar years ago to Calgary where she closed out her second leg of her three. Mm -hmm. And I gave her like three bites the first day I landed and she was gassed. And this dog can take 30 bites. Like I was like, what is wrong? And they're like, elevation. And I said, okay, this is my information. Thank God I knew to show up early. By the second day, she was better. By the third day, she was even better. Fourth day we trialed and she did awesome, but I had prepared her for that, right? We have to properly prepare the dog for the fight. And so the more you guys learn as a country, like the better you guys keep getting and all you guys, like I've seen such progress. I don't foresee you guys not continuing to make such huge improvement and huge process. So yeah, I'm again, I'm an optimist, but I'd say four years, four years at least in the threes. Now to get a three, I mean, yeah. like, there's multiple competitors yeah. in the in the that are showing actively in the threes in America, and you know they have 15, 16, 17 showings, and they haven't gotten a leg yet. Right, right. Well, you know, we we every time we show a new picture comes up, a new thing comes into play, a new issue we have to fix, and so you know this is part of the puzzle and enjoying the process of training the dog. Right. But like these are part of the growing pains. But yeah, I think I'd say in four years, I think definitely in the threes for sure. And multiples, right? Yeah, like all yeah, the dogs, yeah. like there's no reason why like Sunita mom should be in the threes in four years for sure. Because as we're now progressing India, as we're going to then host more trials, mm -hmm. you know, everyone in America sees us having fun, sees Josh and I coming here. And now, you know, of, of course, I'd love to be the one to come every time, but it's not realistic with right. my travel schedule. Right. And also I want to spread the wealth. I want, you know, I want other judges to come here and experience you guys and experience your culture and, you know, the amazing food and sights and sounds and smells. And so the more you guys host trials, this is more 
cards on the table. These yeah, are more yeah. chips in our favor that we can get our legs and we can then go into the upper levels. Yeah, so, you know, so I'll be gearing up to train for the tools now. So any advice? Exciting? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I know like, you know, as, as trial, you know, is like trialing time is closer, it'll be nervous as well. But right now, more exciting than nervous because I get to go back to club and mm -hmm. start training towards all of that. I mean, a lot of pictures uh, that, you know, the way I sort of thought about it, because I remember you telling me, um, you know, not to do a lot of the twos, like a lot of the twos pictures as I'm going for the ones. Yeah. Because that can affect the way for sure. know, the ones play out. So a lot of the pictures that... Uh, can affect things in the ones I left out. Good. But everything else, I've already sort of showed my You dog started out. your neutrality, yeah. right? Yeah. You have yeah. decoys running around and yeah. yelling and being active. Yeah. That's gonna be your hardest part, right? I leave off the portions, like ascend to guard, I can teach this in like two weeks. Like mm -hmm. start to finish in two weeks and then like generalize it. Like it's a very simple behavior because the dog already knows the guard. They just don't understand the context of going there to guard. They understand the context of outing and guarding, right? right, right? Okay. So these are simple behaviors to now, you know, modify and teach. Whereas like the neutrality takes longer. But if we're always running around screaming and we're preparing the dog only for PSA three, when we go to the ones, we're going to get crappy scores because the dog's going to be bored. You know, oh, there's just a guy that. sitting in a chair and the most he does is get up and walk to another chair. It's so boring. But if you teach the dog to feed off of their environment, then, you know, you're going to set the dog up for success, mm -hmm. right? Whereas, you know, can you show the dog these pictures? Of course. But as I'm getting ready for trial, I cool. ease up. So like, yeah. okay, so I want my dog to heal around four decoys, but I don't want them walking around. I'll set them up as chairs as a figure eight. Okay. So like, this is my modification. I call this like a PSA one and a half. Okay. As opposed to a PSA two. Now, once I have my one, now you're gonna, you should be getting ready for PSA two and a half, right? It shouldn't always be yelling and screaming the whole time, but you obviously wanna prepare more, yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you as someone that's been in the ones so many times, the ones is really boring. It's exciting when you're there the first time, yeah, but yeah. then once you get it, you're like, okay, now the twos become more exciting. Yeah. Now the threes become more exciting. And as you progress through the levels, like, this is, it. it's like, um, you know, like low stakes poker to high stakes poker. And the high stakes poker, I'm betting more chips. There's more chance of me winning, you know. There's fewer people at the high stakes table, table yeah. right? So this is so exciting to like be, it's almost nice to finish a chapter of your life and your dog's career. Right, yeah. You know, a PSA one is extremely impressive. It's a huge goal. We have now tested that dog. That dog is courageous and you have control on that animal. Now let's go into the twos and test you as a handler. How can you think, right? So like before I came here, normally I write my level two scenarios on the plane. I can write a level two scenario in 10 minutes, right? And with showing different pictures all the time. But you know, like I was coming here and I was very uh, calculated on, I wanted to show the people of India like four different pictures and kind of help them through it a little bit without giving them in the information, right? So like uh, uh, day one of Pune trial, I was like, this is not a hard comb, right? Now I can't tell them, which means you can break this and go over there and just yeah, eat handler yeah, points. Yeah, yeah. But I was saying, this is not a hard cone, okay? Which if they would have done their research and understood, oh, 
this means I can help the dog, then we would have seen more legs, right? right? But again, part of the growing pains, you don't know, hindsight's 2020. You don't know until you know, yeah. okay? Yeah. But then once you know, you never make that mistake again. And that's the key thing. We never learn from the success. We learn from our failures. Yeah, sure, sure. So we take, you know, one handler's failure, it's a big lesson for them, but then it should also be a lesson for every other one of the competitors like, oh, I learned from that. And that's why when I give my critiques, I try to help. And I try to explain and say, hey, this is where you could have helped the dog because I can't give that information. I can't tell you what cards I'm about to draw. Yeah, yeah. That's not, you like, I don't want, no one wants to be given anything. I never want to be given anything. Right. You yeah, know, like yeah. you'll be standing there for a level three, um, you know, like a handler's meeting and the judge maybe like has their clipboard where you can see it. And they're like, like, I don't even want to look at it. I don't need, I can't process, I'd have to sit, my learning ability, I have to like sit there and like stare at like, I don't want to know any of that. Just tell me what I have to do and let me play it out. Right. And if I did good, pass me. If I didn't do good, I go home and I train, right? right? Yeah. So like the invigorating part of going, I finished my one. Now I have X amount of months to get ready to show in the twos. And this is the exciting part, like foundation behaviors, core behaviors, and then generalize, right? But like when I'm at trials and I'm out there with my dog, like I don't have my dogs here. And, you know, my friend Heather's taking care of them, like sending me videos of my dogs just playing, but like so badly I want to, I'm, I'm having a great time, but so badly I want to go home and train my puppy. Right. right? right and right, I have right, a trial, right. I'm trying to train, uh, show my, one of my young dogs in January. So like, think about, it, I really only have like two months to train her. And I'm like, wait, I have all this stuff I still have to do. Cause it, it has to be as perfect as it possibly can. You know, it's never going to be perfect. Only God is perfect, but you know, it invigorates me to want to go home. And the second I get home, I relax for a day and then I'm right back to training, right? So like, it's so exciting that that step, it's, it's to me, it's even more exciting than getting the title is the yeah. step of now I get to train for the twos. Yeah, yeah. That's how I'm feeling right now, you know, like, uh, like really long back, Cherry said to us, uh, you know, enjoy the journey. Yeah. Like don't think too much about the destination. It'll come if you enjoy the journey. Yes. So yeah, that's that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, anything specific that I should keep in mind while training for the tools that you would say? Any advice? Show the dog as many pictures as you can. Okay. I you're a Star Wars fan, right? I, I'm not so little much, bit. Yeah. You know a little bit about yeah. Star Wars, right? Um, so. Like one of the things that I teach my dog is all the decoy, like if I'm doing my directionals, all the decoys are active except for the passive one. And I always send on the passive one. Cause if I send my dog in an active decoy, I know they're gonna go there. Yeah. Obviously you have to show the pictures, right? So this could come, if you only did that, it could bite you in the butt. But I almost want, the, so the, the line of Star Wars is these are not the droids you're looking for. Okay, and you're using the force. Okay. And they go, these are not the droids we're looking for. Like, this is not the decoy you're looking for. So when the guy goes like this, my dog should look at me or look somewhere else. Right. Because they shouldn't be looking at that guy. Now, if I point them in that direction, obviously they're going to go there because in the ones they had to go to an aggressive guy in a PDC, they had to go to an aggressive guy. But now like no one's ever going to say, Hey, this guy's passive. That guy's active. Send on active guy. Right? It's going to be send on this guy passive while this guy's active. Now, this guy that you just bit becomes active and now send on this passive guy. Right? Like we're constantly messing with the dog's brain and you have to think about that in training. Right? So like when I was getting, um, I was getting Puma ready for nationals one year, 
and I set up all seven of my decoys in almost like a semicircle. Mm -hmm. And they were basically, I wanna say maybe five feet away from each other, four feet away from each other. And I had them, I did difference of guards and bites and active, passive, everyone active, one guy passive or everyone passive, everyone active. And my dog went every place I sent them. The level of confidence, not even for the dog, the level of confidence that gave me in that my dog's gonna go where I send them, like boosted my confidence going into nationals and right. made me feel so much more successful, right. Right? right? Now, she didn't call off, okay? But it doesn't matter because I still feel good about my dog. I still feel good about my training. Win or lose, I love my dog. Win or lose, we go home and we, we live to fight another day, right. right? Like I kept saying all weekend, with, you know, again, everyone's so competitive, which I totally understand, but win or lose, it's all in how you play the game, right? And when we win, we win with grace. And when we lose, we lose with grace. And that's the most important thing for me, right? I'm, I'm really not a competitive person other than with myself, right. you know, right. but that competition with myself makes me want to always strive to be the best that I can be for me, not for other people. Obviously I wanna help other people and I love helping other people. That's why I give so many seminars, but you know, like I wanna learn from all my mistakes and then I just don't wanna repeat those mistakes. So learn from my mistakes and take these little tips and tricks of, hey, all these guys are agitating, these guys are fighting. I'm gonna send my dog on a passive guy facing the other way. Cause in trial, that's probably where the dog's gonna go. Mm -hmm. Thank you. My pleasure. You've seen both of them. I have two very different kind of dogs. Mm -hmm. One of them is like very, I mean, for a Malinois, he's very independent. Okay. Uh, tremendously outwardly focused. And the other one, like, you know, so he'll prefer like, a, like you know, he'll prefer the decoy to me yep. if given a choice. And I really have to work hard to, to you know, get him back to me, for example. And uh, the other dog that I have is exactly the opposite. Like, I mean, he'll go to a decoy, you know, all of that, but he's much, much more oriented towards me. Mm -hmm. uh, so for PSA, what kind of a dog is is easier? And, you know, like, you know, there are obviously like, you know, some advantages and disadvantages to, you know, both sides of that. And, you know, what can that be? What can you tell us about that? So what I learned over time was the ideal PSA dog is decoy hard, handler sensitive, mm -hmm. okay? And when I say handler sensitive, it just means that the dog cares about you because right. Uzi was decoy hard, handler hard. And this is very difficult to train. Now, with all of the knowledge I have now that I didn't have then, this, I would still train the dog the exact same way that I'm, like, that I'm training now, but I'm creating it through operants. So like, I don't, it's good that the dog wants to look at the other, de that the decoy. Instead of fighting him, I'm just gonna stand there and do nothing until he looks at me. And the second he shows me eye contact, I'm gonna let him go. In protection, yeah, right? Yeah, in yeah, obedience, yeah. my dog doesn't come to the field unless they're looking at me. Right. So it took me a really long time to figure out, train, like I teach everything through luring, but then lure to the point of operance. Meaning that if I'm walking to the field and the dog's not looking at me, I'm not gonna go anywhere. So the dog learns the catalyst to getting to work is to make the eye contact. And without the, without the eye contact, nothing happens and life is boring. Now, when you go through this process, it can be a long process by way of, it takes a lot of patience. And I used to not have a lot of patience and I learned patience over time. But 
you know, part of explaining to people like, hey, just have the patience now and then you'll never have to go back and fix it. If you take the time now to build that foundation of dog offers behavior and then they get what they want. Mm -hmm. Like I used to fight my dog in protection to take rewards. I don't do that anymore. Why do I need rewards when rewards for me when my reward is out there? So obedience is direct reward for me. Protection is indirect reward from the decoy. Decoys are just big tugs out there that run and scream Mm -hmm. and catch Mm -hmm. my dog safely. Okay, so, but everything comes from me as opposed to correcting the dog for not looking, I'll just sit there and wait. Right. And eventually they'll stare at the, even if they stare at the decoy for 10 minutes and the decoy does nothing for 10 minutes, at some point, dog is not stupid animal. They're going to offer you another behavior. Yeah. Let's say they offered you a down. I'd send the dog. Right. Okay. Right. So then I'm going to reset. Right. Okay. And then the dog offers me a sit. Like I'll take anything over nothing. Yeah. Okay. Right. And I'll take anything understands. over fighting. Right. Yes. He understands he has to offer me something yes. to get what he He's wants. the catalyst to his own life, right? <clears throat> Nothing in life is going to happen for him unless he does something to make an active effort in life. Right. And the active effort is something to give you, right? If you give me a gift, I will give you a gift back. And the gift of a, of a attention is the gift of a bite. Uh-huh. Right, mm. right. So this is, you know, this is something that I've... Well... Not really struggled with, I wouldn't say, because I'm not at that level yet. But like, uh, even in the PSA ones, I was sort of contemplating exactly the same thing where I really was trying to make my dog take a reward Mm -hmm. uh, after biting a decoy. Like, you know, let's say he bites a decoy, I call him back and let's say, you know, try to get him to take like a bite bar or something like that. Which... Like he would do a couple of times and as he would understand he's not going to get a decoy behind me, uh, you know, then he would be very reluctant to come back. Uh, And for some reason in my mind, and it sounds stupid now because I didn't even know the reason that, you know, I came to this conclusion, but I felt like going into the higher levels, it would not be the most wisest decision to just let him have decoys and, you know, just let the decoys be the reward. It's what I thought. It's what I used to do. It's what I, again, any mistake you've ever made, I've a hundred percent made the same mistake. Okay. So it took me years to figure this out. And this is why we have mentors, Right. right? Because our mentors main, besides teaching us how to train dogs, our mentors main job is to teach us their mistakes. So we don't repeat them. And I thought, well, the dog has to take the reward from yeah. me because this is obedience. Well, if like you're, you're asking your dog to, you know, like step over a hundred dollars to pick up a dollar yeah, or stepping yeah, over a hundred dollars yeah. to pick up $20. And yeah. why would I step over that? Okay. So what I do is a lot of back chaining. So like, instead of the dog having to go an entire, so the way I back chain a lot of my attention and operands is Uh, Send the dog, right? Dog looks at me. Send the dog, drive, out guard. I step to the dog, decoy steps away, Mm -hmm. okay? Obviously, dog has to hold that position. But I don't even tell, I just tell the dog, sit. I don't tell the dog to look at me. The second the dog's head then comes up, eyes, eye contact, send back for a bite. So I'm constantly back-chaining this attention. They go, ah, I'm, I'm lowering requirements to get success, Right? Like I'm not like little kids. What do we ask them to do? Like pick up your toys. 
right? And then you pick up your toys, I'll give you a cookie, right? Like very simple tasks, pick up this book and put it on the table, you right. know? Yeah. Very simple tasks and reward. And then as they progress, as they get older, now we're gonna ask for more complicated tasks and we're gonna chain behaviors. But in the beginning, it's singular behavior, right? So instead, what I would do is like, you know, cause there's no problem of outing. Dog wants to out and stay there cause that's where the fun is. Well, if even if I have to help the dog into heel, the second the dog comes back into heel, even if I guided them, even if I held their hand, send them back again. And they start to understand, ah, the only way to get to the decoy is to come back to daddy. And it took me forever to figure this out. But the second I figured this out, my training sped up exponentially and my dog started actually healing with me. Like Uzi would not heal with me from cone to cone in the threes. I'd literally go, heal, heal. So what I ended up doing was he had a really strong stay. I'd leave him, they're like exercise complete, down. I then walk to the next cone. I go, and I blow my whistle. He'd recall and they're like, Handler, you're ready? I'm ready, right? So I, what I did was I removed his ability to make mistakes because yeah, yeah. I knew he was going to mess it up. Yeah. I knew he wasn't going to do it well. And I knew every time I give a command and the dog doesn't respond, one notch on his belt. So I'm trying to remove notches from him yeah, yeah. and just set him up for success. But the second I started doing this, like my dog gives me a perfect attention to the next cone because they know they're about to get another bite. Right, right, Screw right. the reward from me. Like I, I played with the whole like forced food system. Mm -hmm. And it works, but I didn't like the residual behavior of that. It was almost stress-induced eating, right? As opposed to the, the number one reward for that dog is a decoy. Mm -hmm. It's not a reward until we make it a reward, right? So a little baby puppy doesn't know what a suit is. Right, right. Yeah. So like my nine-month-old puppy has never healed around four decoys agitating, right? He's never bitten the suit. He doesn't know what the suit is, so there's no... How do I desensitize the dog something from something that they don't have any value for, right? But when I slowly add distractions, now I can start to neutralize those distractions to an extent. But my young dog, I want to keep them all piss and vinegar. I want like biting is the most important thing. Obedience is obviously important. But if I get a if I get a hundred in obedience, right? Only God gets a hundred. But like. If I get 100 in obedience and then my dog doesn't have the bite work, I don't get the high obedience trophy, right? And in a PSA 1, obedience is 100 points and protection is 220. Yeah. Like where yeah. do those points go? Yeah. So the, the person that got a 95 in obedience and a, and a, you know, a, 280, a 185 in protection is going to get creamed by the person that got a 80 in obedience and a 210 yeah. in protection, yeah. right? Because this is a protection sport. So I'm always thinking about in obedience, I want the dog to deactivate. Don't think about biting. There's no biting unless, if I told you to bite, obviously you're supposed to bite. But don't even think about biting. You have to eat your, your meat before you can have your dessert. Okay, and protection should be dessert. But you have to wait for like, when your birthday cake comes, you put it down, you have to wait, everyone sings the whole song, then you blow out the can, you make a wish. Then you blow out the candles. Then you have to take the knife, cut it. Like there's all these steps to yeah, wait. Yeah, yeah. You don't get to just like start eating the cake with the, you know, with the, the candles on fire. Yeah. Like, whereas obedience, you know, you come out, you put a plate, plate of food on the table and you can eat it, right? So yeah, yeah. I also went to pretty much all food obedience. Mm -hmm. But now when it comes to protection, I really don't ask the dog 
to take anything from me because what what they want is out there. They just have to look at me to get what they want. Right. So the rewards are in the field. Yes. But the way to get to the reward essentially is with you. I am the catalyst to you getting everything you want in life. You just have to listen to me and you'll get everything you ever wanted. Uh, one of the things that I've heard a decent bit about, maybe, you know, on the PSA groups or I've talked to some, you know, some senior PSA trainers about is, you know, dogs that think a little too seriously in protection uh, will tend to have a hard time staying in control in the higher levels, maybe. Like maybe uh, having sticky outs or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, typically dogs that have a little bit of a civil edge to them. How much should I let that bother me? Like um, the higher levels? I mean, again, it, we're doing sport. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, like my dog in the carjacking in the, in the PDC is going to show a lot of aggression because to them, this is a civil bite and I mm -hmm. teach it as a civil behavior. But then when I tell them to bark at the end of the leash for the uh, courage test, they're going to bark, but they're not going to be foaming at the mouth spitting. So I want the civil edge, but you almost need to cut it a little bit for them to then like, it's the difference of I'm in a boxing match versus I'm fighting for my life in the street. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and uh, you don't, if the dog has a natural aggression, we don't necessarily need to cut it. We almost just like ignore it, right? We don't promote it because too much defense like will eventually kick into the dog's like nerve threshold or avoidance threshold. I want my dog to go from in the, in the ones uh, defensive behavior, which is carjacking into three prey bites. Cause even a decoy running at the dog that still should be perceived as prey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I don't allow the dog to demonstrate aggressive behaviors when there's no reason for aggression, right? So like when I'm walking down the street, if someone's just walking by me, I don't want that dog firing up, right? Because what's gonna end up happening is the dog thinks like, oh yeah, my bark gets people to go away, but there's never a bite at the end, right? Hopefully there's no bite on the street because the person wasn't aggressive. So it's almost like beating up little kids in the street to then go fight Mike Tyson. Mm -hmm. Right? Like I want the, the aggression to be very controlled and very clear and on cue. Okay. And the cue is I either tell you to do it or the person acts aggressive. Right? So like my dogs don't need to be told to bite. If someone comes over and acts aggressive to me, they should just bite on their own. Right? They should display aggression. They should bite whatever the, whatever the situation is. It's cued by the environment. Right. Okay. But for, for we're doing sport, the dog should learn. Ah, okay. Like, can I turn and send my dog on the judge? Of course. But my dog goes, ah, there's guys out here in suits. Mm. Like, I know I'm doing PSA today. I know this is not a real, real situation. Right. So essentially you're saying we can contextualize it. Yes, 100%. Right? So, because that's what I've felt for a really long time, because you know, the way I've trained things, like or what, like, you know, my initial mentors taught me is, you know, we used to do defense work through like suspicion. Yeah. And we did that, um, you know, not like we're setting up like a training session. Like if you if you see a lot of the IGP people in Europe, right. they do it on the on the training field. Yeah, uh, I think mostly because they don't want that to happen. Right, it's just field, a, right? yeah. So uh, and you know the you know the 
the the the boogeyman so to speak is mm -hmm. always a helper in a scratch band etc yeah. etc they're creating very visual cues right yeah so but we've always done it like you know i've done it like you know i'm as true defense yeah yeah right like on a on like maybe i just go on a walk to like the shady place somewhere yeah. and there's just someone hiding in the corner and something like that uh, and so that's where the defense was developed and there was no like biting for a very long time until like, you know, the dogs mature yeah. and, you know, the dog does like a civil bite kind of a thing. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's the only place that happens and everything else was very sporty and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I saw with at least the last two of my dogs, uh, it almost seemed like when I go to club, they... They understand that this is like they're intense, but it sort of seems like they understand that they're not fighting for their life. Right. When I took them to club, it almost seemed like they understand that. I mean, they're intense, but it just like to look at to me, it felt like uh, they understand they're not fighting for their life. It's still like you like you explained uh, like a boxing match. Mm -hmm. They but, see the gloves. Right, right. They, so they see the suit. They know, mm -hmm. oh, we're doing sport today. Right. Yeah. So some something of that sort. Uh, and, you know, when we, let's say, go out into the street and something, uh, we set up something like that. The dog looks a lot different. It almost looks like the dog understands that it needs to fight yes. in this situation. So am I, am I right to assume that the dog's sort of understanding this if we've contextualized it? 100%. But, right. So... That, because that was something, because, you know, people have, uh, you know, I've, I've always sort of heard about, you know, about how that, that extra edge of aggression will make you maybe lose control to an extent. Uh, but I've never, like, for example, had outing problems and I've had dogs typically which uh, in certain situations really do have that civil mm -hmm. uh, edge to them. Uh, but it's almost always felt like they they understand what sport is, mm -hmm. you know. And to me, it was like, am I right on this, or am I just, you know, no, like, for sure, am I just making it up in my mind, or you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, so it's the if you contextualize this well for most dogs, it should be okay. Right? Yes. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, like <laughs> the dog knows. Dogs are super smart animals and they know what they're doing. You know, now, uh, like, you know, Sunita's dog went after me, yeah. you know, and like that dog was committed. That dog, if I didn't use my clipboard to fend that dog off, that dog would have bit me, which I kind of like, you know, let's give the dog some props because she just heard screaming. Someone was coming at her and I was standing there. And when she saw me, you know, she comes after me. Obviously, you guys, she fixed it. And the next day she went and she got her PDC. But, you know, like you do, PSA, we allow for a more civil dog, right? right? right in right, in right. ring sport, you have to keep, you, when you bring the dog on the field for a brevet, the dog's naked. Like the dog has to go in a down. You have to go over and have a conversation with the guy. Like you never want your ring dog to look at anyone and load like, oh, this guy's gonna, mm -hmm. could potentially attack me. Now, Cougar's civil, but she understands, okay, um, daddy's wearing his vest, we're on a field, this is different than walking down the street right, right. or someone coming to my house or someone coming to my vehicle, right? Dogs are extremely contextual animals. And I think that over time through repetition, they definitely, understand the context of what they're doing. Because if you had an overly civil dog, 
the dog wouldn't do well on the prey bites in PSA. Like they wouldn't do well on the handler attack. It would be too much, too much fight because if my dog bit someone in the street, they wouldn't drive my dog for eight seconds. Yeah, yeah. Right. They would just go down to the ground yeah. screaming or unless they were on drugs, but then, then people on drugs don't even feel pain. Right. So, you know, but so it's kind of unrealistic. It's the PSA is the most realistic by way of like closest to protection work, but it's still a sport. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think the dogs truly understand what they're trained properly. They really understand what they're doing. So like, I'll do what you're talking about of like the suspicious bite. But I more do it because I want to see it. I won't. I don't do it over and over again. Yeah. Only because I can like growing up in New York City, having been you know like like attacked many many times from a young age. It makes you really suspicious, right? Mm -hmm. And from all the things I've seen in my life, like Josh and I are hanging out. Uh, we're waiting for uh, a taxi to pick us up out front of the Airbnb, and we're standing outside. It's it's dark. Right. I've, uh, this is my first time in Delhi and, you know, Josh is checking out his phone, making sure everything's okay. And obviously he's aware, but like my head's on a swivel and I'm literally every person that's staring at me, I'm looking because my level of suspicion is very high from my childhood trauma. Okay. And so like, you can't, I can't turn that off. I can't stop it. If I'm in an enclosed area or people I feel comfortable with, I can let my guard down a little bit, but still it's like going to the restaurant, I have to sit facing the door, okay? Because I have to see what's gonna come through the door. Like, I wish I didn't have all those experiences at a young age. I'm thankful it made me who I am today and, and made me aware of what life is, but I really don't need to be that suspicious, right? Because no one meant me harm, but every person that walked by me and stared at me because I'm weird looking, right? Like, you know, so I, I want the dog to have some natural suspicion. I just don't want over suspicion. And I try to wait for the dogs to be more mature when I then bring that in as opposed to like young, young dogs, right? Now, one of the ways that I'll make my dogs civil is I do a lot of man orientation. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, I was working some puppies after the decoy camp or at lunch and you know, the, the sleeve handler kicks the sleeve out and I go to the side and I'm shaking the stick and trying to get the dog to bark at me. Well, people are more training for sport, meaning that they're training about the sleeve. To me, I'm the catalyst of the sleeve. So right. when you turn and you bark at me, now I'll come and pick up that sleeve, put it on my arm and put it in your mouth. But you have to bark at me. Now, even if the dogs didn't bark at me, if the dog like made eye contact with me, I was taking that as, okay, I want something. Mm -hmm. And I'll take the littlest amount of effort and pay it because each time I, I know the dog will offer me more because they know this is going to get them paid. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, breeding question. Okay. Um, Love breeding. Yeah. So, you've seen Ronin and uh, I just like, and we've talked about this a little bit. Um, you know, what are my chances and, and how do I go about it if I'm going to try to produce it, like reproduce him or at mm -hmm. least produce a dog closest to him? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, the key way to do that is line breeding. But the only way to line breed is to have, you know, generations of dogs. Again, like the, the major limitation that you guys have in India is importation of dogs is illegal, right? So like, but with that said, you guys did like all the trainers that I see, 
you guys imported the correct dogs when you could get them in. Right, okay, right. so it wasn't like people brought in crappy dogs and then tried to reproduce them. You guys have the good dogs. It's all about, you know, like what combination is going to get me what I want. Okay, and, you know, can you necessarily like, would I like to, like when I, when I line breed on Uzi or I line breed on Uzi's father, Rodan, like, do I want to produce Uzi or Rodan? For sure. But if I'm line breeding on them, I know I'm at least going to produce good dogs. Mm -hmm. Okay. And also not every dog that I produced in the past was a dog for me. Like, I like a more aggressive dog. I like a dog that's going to give me a little bit more of a challenge. Whereas like newer handlers, I want to give them a dog that has all the drive in the world, but doesn't want to bite them. Who, how many people want to get bit? Yeah. I don't want to get bit, but I like the, like, I like the spicy dog, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because I know I can handle it and I know it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge. You know, like the puppy that I kept out of Puma's last litter, right? You know, would not have been the typical puppy I would have picked. He was more independent. He was more aloof, um, you know. Whereas like the puppy that uh, I picked for Kyle was more the puppy I normally would have picked. Very biddable, like wants to do whatever you want him to do. And okay, so I'm working on, you know, like this potentially be my fourth PSA three. Like, oh, it's not hard enough already. You might as well make it harder. But I like the challenge, okay? And I want to drive the fast car, you know, that I might wrap it around a tree, <coughs> but it's okay. I'll go home and I'll rebuild it. That's fine. Um, but you know, in the past I bred, like the first time I bred Puma, um, I bred her to a Lou Soleil dog, a dog from Michael Ellis lines. That's also line bred on Uzi's father. Okay. But I, every time I breed, I'm looking for the right male to complement the female. It took me very, very many years. I, I was always taught like it's about the male and then the female just makes the puppies. It's a hundred percent wrong. It's about the female and the male just adds genetics, right? Because the female is 60% of the equation. The male's only 40% because the mother nurtures them. The mother raises them, right? So, you know, I want to pair him with nice females, but what you want to do is breed him out so then you can breed him back in. So like almost add other genetics that you like from other females and then take those dogs and then line breed on them. Right. So like Puma's mother is an outcross. Okay. Um, or Puma's an outcross, meaning I imported her mother from Serbia. She's from Czech lines and I had been breeding line breeding for so long. I needed to now add new blood in so that then I can now breed back in. Right. right? Because if you only line breed, you're going to breed yourself into a corner. Okay. And then you're stuck because then you have to add in other lines and you have to add in almost multiple generations of other lines, right? Breeding is like lottery balls, okay? You're hoping that your numbers are gonna come up. Now, it's like roulette. If I put enough chips on the table, the chance of me winning is gonna be higher. So I'm just gonna stack the cards in my favor. I'm gonna take correct genetics, go to the people that know what the pedigrees look like, see how these pedigrees would work together, uh, you know, like research the, what is the coefficiency on these dogs and especially when line breeding, right? Because depending on what those coefficiencies are, it's going to tell you what the chance of it being good or the chances of it being bad, 
Okay, but technically, if we want to reproduce, if if I I want to reproduce Ronin, I want to line breed on Ronin. Okay, so like I'm gonna take a Ronin daughter and then breed her to Nuke, right? Because they're not the same lines, mm -hmm. right? And then you know, like take a Nuke, one uh, a puppy from that because the the Ronin daughter is an outcross, and then Nuke is an outcross, and then I'm gonna take that granddaughter and breed it back to Ronin. Right. So okay. we've we've sort of okay. So Ivy is Sanya's dog. Yeah. Is Ronan's daughter. Yeah. And uh, we've bred Nuke to her once. Mm -hmm. So you're saying basically, for example, what I understand from it is, let's say one of those puppies, one of those daughters from from Nuke into Ivy. Uh, I'd outcross those one more time and then breed all of those oh, dogs because oh. it's so. Think about um, Ronan. But, and then you, and then so Ivy, so Ronan daughter mm -hmm. to Nuke, mm -hmm. okay. Like, could you breed that back to Ronan for sure? But it's, it's closer and it's tighter. Right. And there's more of a potential of having potentially genetic issues, maybe, right? Again, we don't know. We, we make plans and God laughs at us, right? So like, it could be the best, like, I, I've bred tight, tight line breedings and some of them I liked and some of them I didn't like. And I bred an entire litter like I didn't like the puppies and they still like they weren't like they didn't have to be put down. Like they were still good dogs, but they weren't. I, I didn't like the edge that they had. It wasn't to me it wasn't correct edge. It was a little bit of nervous edge. And that's not what I want. I want a confident, aggressive dog, not a, not, you know, a nervous, aggressive dog. And if a breeder tells you that they've never produced anything bad, they're liars, okay? And breeders need to be honest. Now, obviously, people don't want to say every mistake that they've made. I, as a, as a teacher, I teach my mistakes. Right. And I have no, like, when, when I was having a really uh, tough issue with Uzi, he had, had his two, and he breezed right through the twos. I was having issues in the threes. His neutrality around agitating decoys, he was my patrol dog. And my bomb dog, when I worked for the Israeli government, like the dog had live bites. And so like, if people yelled at us and screamed at us, they got bit. So now I have to deactivate that, but the dog would love to fight. And now this makes it really hard. So like, when it comes to like figuring that out of, uh, okay, that's too much edge. We need to cut that edge. How do we cut that edge? Well, I'm gonna go to seminars. Okay, I've, I've been giving seminars for 10 years, but I've been to over 50 seminars. It's probably close to 60 at this point because I want to learn things. I want to continue my education. Well, I'm going to seminars. I'm paying all this money and no one's giving me answers. And my main mentor, when I told him this, he goes, Jonathan, you're, you're leaving yourself like vulnerable by going in front of a trainer and saying, I need help. He's like, you're leaving people the ability to talk shit about you. And I go, but I don't care. I just want to fix my dog's problem and move on with that. I don't care if I have to be humble and be humiliated to then get what I want. That's okay. Because everyone wants different things in life. And I want the three PSA threes. Yeah. Right. I want it to be the number 10 dog. Okay. And the, it was the ninth handler. Okay. Like, Okay, all those people that will be like, oh, yeah, he went to that trainer and he's having problems. None of those people have done it. Okay, so if I have to humble myself and 
have some humility to then have success, that's fine. But because of this, I now teach my mistakes, okay? Right, right. So like line breeding too tight can create things you don't want. Mm -hmm. So like ultimately, here's what I would do. I would take um, an Ivy puppy and then Ivy nuke puppy and then I would outcross that and then I would take the females off of that and breed all of them back to Ronin. Because you've already gone so far away that now you are truly line breeding. You're line breeding back on the grandfather. Right, grandfather or great grandfather mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's really what you want to do. That's where I found success was going like Cougar. I purchased Cougar because she was a uh, Rodan great granddaughter. And I bred her to Uzi, oh. who was a Rodan son. So great granddaughter <coughs> to grandson or uh, to, to son. Okay, so now I'm these many generations away, which then set me up for success when I bred like cousin to cousin. That's when I had issues. That's when I bred a litter that I didn't like. Okay, it was too tight. And what I should have done was taken that female, outcrossed her, and then bred those puppies back to Uzi. That really should have been my answer. But you don't know until you know. Right. 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 So, yeah, the, the, breeding is always, I find it fascinating. You know, I look at, you know, humans and breeding also, right? Like you meet yeah. two awesome yeah. people and you're like, you guys should have puppies, right? You guys should have babies because if you guys are awesome, you'll probably produce awesome kids, you know? But like I stopped breeding because it's the people that you sell the puppies to that will, you know, like curse your name or like, you know, let the dog jump out of a car going 35 miles an hour and then the dog lands on its hip and now the dog has hip issues and now they're blaming me as a breeder when all the other puppies in the litter have no hip issues and both of the parents come back as OFA excellent, right? But people are always going to blame where things come from and no one wants to admit their faults, right? It's everyone's insecurities to not let everyone know that they're insecure, right? Like I'll tell you my insecurities because I own them. If you like, you got to own what your faults are because that's what's then going to make you more successful. So I don't want to breed anymore because of what the people did to my breeding program. And it's only a 5%, a 10%. That's too much percentage for me. I don't like that. So my last letter only went to friends. It only went to people that I trust, that I care about, that I want to see succeed. So I gave them a good dog and I gave them a spicier dog because I bred a dog that I wanted, which is a spicier dog. And so, you know, I'm not saying that I will never breed ever again, but like if I did, really no one would know about it until you saw a puppy and you go, where did that puppy come from? And be like, oh, you know, Jonathan bred a litter real quick. But it would be when I needed a dog for myself again. Right. Right. Like right. I have Uzi on ice. I have six breedings from Uzi that I'm, a, I'm saving for a rainy day. And you know, the goal is to use them before I'm, before I'm dead and I'm turning 40, okay? So like, you know, but how many breedings am I really gonna do in the rest of my lifetime? Meaning how many personal dogs do I need? But my friends need dogs, my, my students need dogs, my trainers need dogs, and I want them to have the right dogs, but it, dogs don't necessarily need to come for me, it's just about having the right dog. Mm -hmm. And that was the key thing of like coming to India and a lot of people ask me, they're like, what do you think about our dogs? I'm like, you guys have awesome dogs. If you didn't have awesome dogs, you guys would not have progressed as far as you have in such a short right. period of time because the dogs are correct. You just got to figure out the puzzle of training them properly. And you guys have progressed so much. The next part is like 
continuing to breed in country because we can't bring outside yeah, dogs. Yeah. But can you pull from another breeder? You know, like I've done this before. You know, you breed dogs and I breed dogs. We both live in India. We both respect each other. I'll trade you puppy for puppy. Well, right. You give you give me a, a you know um, a Ronin son or a Ronin daughter, and I'll give you you know uh, like a Puma daughter, right? And now you can that now diversifies your lines that there's right, diversify. Right, like right, right. I bred Puma to Jeff's dog Ryu. Right, right? right. I, you know, I helped a lot in Ryu's training. I've always loved Ryu. You know, like think about combining the Zuko Isis. Mm. So like that was the most prolific PSA breeding by way of how many PSA threes they produced, how many titles, how many championships. Like PSA, we're not, we don't give any um awards or recognition to breeders because it's an all-breed sport. But if if I would give someone an award, I would give Jeff an award for producing, like for breeding to a male that had never been bred before, taking that chance, and then producing such an amazing combination because Zuko was to kill, to cut Isis's edge, right? And that's what that created that combination. And then those dogs have now been bred and those dogs have been successful. So, okay, I took a Puma... I took um, uh, 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 Zuko Isis' son, Ryu, and then bred to Puma, an Uzi daughter. Mm -hmm. And now then I can, so that's an, it's a double outcross because Puma's mother's an outcross, Ryu's an outcross. Now they both have cartouche in there. Like, like Uzi has cartouche back in his pedigree, but it's not anything close up. Close up yeah. um, but now I like my dog Cheetah, is actually technically the perfect dog to then breed to that Uzi sperm because she's a double outcross, but now we're still, but then when I breed her back, breeding we're still back. line breeding. Yeah. But I've also combined two of the strongest producing PSA lines. You know, like I produced a lot of PSA title dogs. You know, they've, uh, Zuko Isis produced even more. And now to me, it's trying to create the ultimate dog for the job because these are European dogs that now we've bred in country, but now we're breeding them for another sport. So technically like how does breeding and how does what the dogs do affect the breeding and affect the then future genetics and future mm -hmm. generations? You know, like the dogs that have been bred specifically for IPO, especially in the States, those are more sporty dogs. They're less civil. Whereas... The Europeans, like you go to Eastern Europe, like the Czechoslovakian IGP dogs are also their police dogs yeah. and they're producing police dogs. Like those dogs have to bite for real. Obviously, as we were talking about before, like context, contextually, they understand, okay, today I'm doing IPO right. and this isn't like, this isn't street work, but still they still needed their dogs to do that, which is what I still need out of my dogs. I don't want just a sport dog. My dogs are protection dogs first sport dog second. And so like, I need to produce the dog for myself because I've had other dogs that I bought from other people that I didn't like and they didn't fit into my system and I didn't enjoy them. And you know, if I'm going to devote my life to a relationship, I want it to be as uh, like, I want to enjoy it as much as I can and I have to enjoy the dog. Right. right? Yeah. If I, even if I, even if the, do the dog could be amazing dog, I had a dog like had a 10 point grip all day long and Jeff's working the dog and he's like, 
why do you want to sell this dog? I'm like, I just don't enjoy him. The grip is awesome, but like, he just, he doesn't, he doesn't work well with my communication. And if I'm going to devote all this time to training this dog, I want to, like, I want to use the language that I want to use. And I want to dog, like, you know, it'd be like me dating someone that doesn't speak English. Mm-hmm. It'd be, it'd make the relationship really hard. Right. So like, I want to train the dog that I enjoy. And so how, where do I find that dog? I just have to breed it myself. Right. So that's for you. You got, you need to breed the dog for yourself and you need to now continue down all of your students, put those dogs in correct hands, people that you trust. And now forever you can then take dogs, put dogs in, take dogs out and then line breed and try to ultimately recreate Ronan or recreate Ronan's father or whatever you're trying to recreate is basically like it's, it really comes from line breeding. And in the States, a lot of people just outcross, outcross, outcross. All you're doing is just spreading your lottery balls in more places by line breeding. You're stacking your lottery balls. Right. And then when you inbreed, you're like really putting your line lottery balls on top of each other and then they can potentially crash. Mm-hmm. Right. And you could hit nothing or you could hit crap. So, you know, I definitely think that adding more in to then cross back in. Right. Right. Uh, also, like, very interesting that you, you said, uh, you know, how the check lines, a lot of them that you know do I, igp are like uh, police dogs also mm-hmm. uh, ronin comes from that okay so his uh, his grandfather was uh, czech special forces okay and uh, they bred to that to create a lot of their igp okay i want to see you'll show me later i want to see yeah. the pedigree because so uh, puma's <coughs> grandfather is uh, nando smoke in the water right, right yeah, which exactly. was prolifically bred and produced a ton of igp dogs a ton of police dogs and, but he brings a lot of aggression to the table. And, you know, so again, me liking a spicy dog, I took a spicy female and bred her to a spicy male and then Puma's super spice, right? So then, but because I created those spicy genetics, now Puma needs to be cut, right? I have to add milk into, right. in, into my chicken tiki masala right. so that the white people can eat it, right? <laughs> because most people can't eat that level of spice, right? I like that level of spice, but... You know, I still want, like, Cheetah is Puma's daughter to Ryu, but still has a ton of spice. But if I would have bred her now to another aggressive dog, they probably would have been too aggressive and too defensive and mm-hmm. too hard to control right. by way of channeling drives. Right, right, yeah. right. Even, even, even Fury, the... Yeah. That dog. Yeah, I love Fury. He's also, again, the same... Yeah, I love like Fury. he comes from the Czech... Uh, special forces yeah. and all those lines. Just that that dog is like the, just the the biting mechanics of that animal, just like and again Ronan's awesome and you have a lot of awesome dogs but like that to me is the dog that stands out of like he really truly wants to hurt you with yeah. the back of his throat, yeah. right? Like that he wants to hurt you with the back of his tongue, right? Yeah. And he made decoys look good in the drive because literally he drives the decoy, right? Like. That's so impressive to me. I, I'm, I'm normally not easily impressed and that dog really impresses me, you know, because just like that level of aggression, but okay. Um, I, the most impressive, like pulling a dog back in that, right. Fury comes on the field and Fury's like, I'm biting. And <laughs> right. 
he doodled around for a minute and then the dog was like, boom. And he went out and he got his first leg of his one, yeah. right? And I'm like, that's the most impressive doodling, pulling the ball back in I've ever seen. I was like, this is not gonna go well. And it went awesome, right? So like that truly impressed me. And that's what's cool is that being your mentor, yeah. like I'm a sentimental guy, right? So like, it'd be the same thing. Like if you met my mentor, you would automatically give them the that respect. But obviously if you saw them work, you'd be impressed, right? And so now knowing where you came from, right? Like that's impressive. And, and I try to then give respect back to who I respect you and I respect him for teaching you what, what you know and all that. Uh, you know, like Dutch, French, Belgian, like IGP lines. What do you, like anything you prefer and for any specific reason? Um, so, I know your dogs have a lot of French. My dogs are French and Belgian crosses, but I mean, now I'd say, like I normally would say heavier on the French side, mm -hmm. but now adding Ryu back in, I mean, that's a straight Belgian breeding. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like it's definitely, again, a little bit of check in there. Um, but line, basically line breeding on Uzi, that's why I say, you know, like mostly French because you know, I'm just constantly combining more French genetics. I watched a video of, uh, it was like French special forces dogs when I first got into Malinois and the speed and intensity of these like medium or as people call small dogs was so impressive. And I'm a big dude. I don't need a big dog. Like, you know, a big dog is cool, but also like a big dog, takes a lot of food and needs a bigger crate. And you know, like everything is, there's just more. And I like the speed and intensity of these like medium twitchy animals. So I truly enjoy the French dogs. Um, you know, a lot of what I do foundation wise is like French ring, Belgian ring foundation for PSA. Mm -hmm. And then I just modify it once the foundation is done, you know, adding bottle curtains and can curtains and, you know, other pictures, but I set it up like it's Belgian ring, you know, like going through gauntlets of things to then mm. get to the bite. Um, and then ultimately understanding that the bite is the reward, right? So in Belgian ring, the dog has to go through all this environmental pressure. And then once they get to the bite, there's no pressure. Mm -hmm. They literally just take the bite and they go. T -t 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whereas French ring, there's no pressure from the environment. All the pressure comes from the decoy. So to me, if you combine those two lines of dogs can take environmental pressure, dogs can take decoy pressure, that's a PSA dog because that's what we require is of both. So that's kind of why I combine that. Um, I'm not as of, of my experience with the Czech Malinois, they're definitely more aggressive and like bordering on like could be dangerous in the wrong hands, right? Yeah. So... I see a lot of, um, I've seen that. I've seen yeah. people bring me like, and, and like Dutch dogs, you'll see them very strong as puppies, uh -huh. but they won't be demonstrating aggression, but you can see it, that it's going to come out. Whereas like, I've seen four month old Czech puppies that pe people are like, Oh, the dog's biting me. I'm like, Oh yeah, it's a puppy. They're like, no, 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 no. The dog's trying to hurt me. Right. And that's not normal. That's not natural. That's not safe. Now in the right hands, gorgeous. In the wrong hands, someone's going to the hospital. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, like 
So now it's it's French, Belgium, and just a little, I just sprinkle a little bit of Czech, Czech in there, the right? I really don't like the IPO lines. To me, they're too sporty, um, and like they're just not not aggressive enough for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that is that something about something about like you know Czech and Belgian crosses that I mean I haven't seen like as much but just because you mentioned like you know in Rayu for example yeah. uh, because Fury has like so there is Czech and there's a lot of Belgian in okay that. and you know he's he's a son of my my last dog Dastan okay he's he's uh, a son from Dastan okay so, you know and he was exactly like Fury. like his father yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so you know, is that something about them that they almost like maybe like biting like Belgian dogs? Yeah. You know, like big, really hard biting dogs with, yeah. with more aggression. So. That's, that's to me why they would combine that. You know, like again, the Belgian dogs have <clears throat> natural aggression, but it's not like the Czech dogs. Czech dogs like want to eat you. Whereas like, you know, I want to say the, the, the Belgian dogs are more dominant aggressive. Like, mm-hmm. a, you know, as opposed to the Czech dogs more defensive aggressive mm-hmm. if that you know yeah, like if yeah. that explains it you know um again every dog is different so it's hard to kind of pinpoint exactly but, and but all of our terms are kind of semantics right you know if the dog bites the dog bites but I don't like the like the only uh, IPO lines I've I've well they're not really IPO lines like Pearl de Tubier uh, are nice dogs but Pearl de Tubier is the only line of pedigree Malinois, they do IPO, they do uh, Belgian ring, French ring, KMPV. Like it's a very diverse yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. line. And if you look at dogs, like I can, you line up a bunch of Malinois, I can be like, hey, that dog looks like it has Pearl de Tubier in it. Cause they have a very distinctive kind of look to them. Whereas like, you know, people who would always uh, talk shit about like Uzi's father, Rodan was from a very famous litter. Right, Rodan, uh, Rodan, Ramses. Um, uh, it was like it was an R litter, right? And there's a bunch of R dogs, and all those dogs were bred. Obviously, Rodan was sold to the states in 2005 or six, whatever it was, um, 2004, 2003, whatever. But you know, so the dog was never bred there anymore. I think. Danny Maison, who titled the dog, actually, he said he kept some, some collections. But people are like, oh, well, Rodan was small. You know, like Ramsey's was the better dog. And I'm like, well, okay, I've seen video of Ramsey's, but I never seen Ramsey in person. But Ramsey's was not as intense as, um, you know, like Rodan was espresso, right? Ramsey's was like, you know, like a full cup of drip coffee kind of thing, right? And I want that shot of espresso, right? Like that's, it's, it's smaller, but it's more intense. And again, I don't, I don't really need a huge dog. Our, our big dog's cool, but I'd rather be able to own four medium-sized dogs than, you know, four big dogs. I need a bigger vehicle, you know, like we're going to need a bigger boat, right? Like food costs more, crates are bigger. Um, they take up more space in the house. They're, they, they, they poop bigger. Like, you know, like I, I like, uh, like my females, 50 to 60 pounds, males, you know, 55 to 70 pounds. Like probably I would say Lion, he's like 10 months old now. And I'd say he's probably like maybe 55, almost 60 pounds. He'll probably be like a 65, 70 pound dog. I don't want him any more bigger than 70 pounds, right? And his, 
um, his mother's 60 pounds and his father's 65. So like if he's his father's size, I'll be super happy, right? right? Like right, right. Uzi with just a little bit more size. Now Uzi made up for his size through aggression, right? But, you know, again, a little bit bigger of a dog. It's like Uzi had a lot of injuries because he wasn't a big dog and he was super fast. Like meaning like if he took a, dog, a decoy down, it was from momentum and inertia. Right. It wasn't from right. the hit, right. you know, whereas if you didn't catch him properly, you'd compress his whole spine. You might kill him. Okay. But it was like, I loved watching him do go downfield because you send him and you'd blink and he was there, you know? Um, but the like find the dogs that you like and then produce those dogs and, you know, like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. What my mentor bred is what I loved. And so I just actually, I bred, I line up until after I did it, like I line bred on his dogs more than he did. He did a lot of outcrosses. He, he imported a uh, barrack and then uh, produced a bunch of barrack daughters and then bred all those barrack daughters to Rodan. And that's basically is what created his line. And then he did a little bit of line breeding, but like I specifically took the dogs that he bred and just line bred on it. And then when I bred myself into a corner enough, outcross, outcross, breed back in, right. right? So like I was ultimately trying to create the dog that I could bring back to Uzi and technically Cheetah would be that dog for me as like, okay, I love her. She reminds, she's like a spinning image of her mother with just a little bit of Ryu in there. Um, and so, you know, like maybe down the road, will I do it? Who knows? Only, you know, only God knows the future, but it's, it's, I, I ultimately bred for myself and right, I wanted to right, create what right. was going to be right for me and my handlers. And, you know, like, how about this? If you, you're, you're in a club <clears throat> and, and your, your training director breeds Malinois and you go to another breeder to get a Malinois, you got, should probably find another person to train with because you're stupid that you're not working with those cheat codes of like, I know how to train my own dogs, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, it could be also perceived as slightly <clears throat> disrespectful as like, well, I went to someone else because I don't like, you know. Now, like uh, my club member, Cindy, she's had two dogs for me and now she wanted to get a, a female that she could then breed to one of her males, which totally makes sense. But I see this all the time, training director breeds dogs and then they went to like someone else. And it wasn't like a calculated like, hey, I'm gonna buy this female and then breed to your male. It was like, well, I just wanna get something different. But to me, I know how to train my own dog. So like people come to my club and they're like, oh, you bred all these Malinois. I'm like, of course. Why would you get a dog from anywhere else when I know the dogs? I'm obviously going to give you the best dog because you train with me. With me exactly. So, you know, like this is another thing that comes into play when placing puppies and stuff like that. Like I want to keep them close because the closer I keep them, the more I can observe them and the more I can see how they develop. And I'm critical. So like, you know, like if I'm happy, then they're good, you know, because like, eh, I see something I don't like. I'm eh, right. But like, I want to be happy and I want the, I want the people to be happy. And so I just figured out what works. <coughs> He's tasting me. So, you know, the last time you were here, Ronan was about 19 yeah. months old. Uh, and this is just me trying to, you know, get, uh, you know, high level competitor's perspective and, you know, like a mentor's perspective on, you know, what my dog 
age right now. But like, so he was about 19 months old when he got his PTCs. Mm -hmm. And now he's about close to like four years old, four, mm -hmm. four and a half years old. Um, like, what did you feel about like, you know, how the dog is and he, like, you know. I like him. In, in yeah, I mean, he's like, that. that's like, I know you said he's mostly what, check lines? Yeah. But like, I mean, like he has just the right amount of edge to him but he's not overly <clears throat> defensive. Um, you know, like he's a stable dog. You look at him and you go like, he's very clear in the head. Um, but he was clear when I saw, like I worked him, yeah, right? Yeah. I worked him at eight months old. Yeah. And what did I tell you at eight months old? He, no, that was Nuke. That was Nuke. That was Nuke. No, oh, sorry. Him. He got his PDC yeah. in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I like Nuke too. Um, but I mean, like, He's again is a big powerful dog. Um and now watching what he's produced, you know, and then he's producing the next generation, like I'm a sentimental guy, so that's really cool to see his kids right out there, you know, or grandkids out there, like, you know, like, oh, this all came from from him. And so like almost he was the he wasn't the foundation because you had had dogs before, but like this is the, like, that's the, where your breeding program really started. Mm -hmm. You had yeah. started breeding yeah. dogs, but like, that's where it took it to the next level. Right. So one of the things that I wanted to ask was, so he was bred here in India. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are, you know, litter mates around, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he's the biggest dog, uh, yep. but that's not really important, but. Uh, like I've worked some of like I've worked with some of the litter mates yeah. and no offense I mean they're good dogs and yeah. all that but they're not as they, strong as they're him they're not as strong as him nature versus nurture so you've nurtured that dog right yeah. a lot of people are just gonna say well my genetics are correct and I'll just train the dog whereas you let him develop you didn't rush him you know like okay he was 19 months why didn't you get ready for your one then? Because you wanted to let the dog develop. Yeah, He's yeah, still yeah. a slower to mature dog. You'd right. agree with me? Yeah, yeah. So like, I don't want to push the dog too far. And what could be is that the other people pushed the dog too quickly and required too much out of them and didn't let them develop, right, right. you know? Um, and again, this is just um, like, I, I didn't see the dog. So this is just like speculation, but watching him develop, Definitely, I would say, you know, you, you went with what the dog needed when he needed. You let him mature in his own right, in his own, at his own rate, as opposed to forcing him to progress quicker than he needed to. Especially being the bigger dog, right? The, the bigger the dog, the slower the mature, right? Right. I just want to thank you so much for, you know, being an amazing mentor. And uh, even just this discussion that we've had has helped a lot, even in terms of, you know, my lookout at even breeding and uh, you know progressing in my PSA career for that matter even the way I look at Ronin and uh, even even like in his career and even as a dog that I can you know maybe use in breeding mm -hmm. from here on and uh, you know really really benefited me in my journey uh, and I'll definitely try to be the same person for you know other people that come to my club and you are and like obviously when I met you, obviously you're a nice guy. Anyone that meets you knows you're a nice guy. 
what what for me was what really made <coughs> me really like truly love and respect you was the fact that you're you're truly in it for the love of the dogs you're in it for the love of seeing everyone else you don't bring an ego you just are just happy doing what you're doing and you just do your own and like this is you have virtues that you know some like i wish i could let things go sometimes and i wish that i could just do me and it took me a long time to like figure that out and so you know like don't change don't let the people change you okay don't let like i'm i'm hardened i'm hardened over the years from being allowing myself to be too vulnerable and letting people take advantage of me you're too good of a person stay true to who you are because you're an awesome guy and you surround yourself with awesome people and everyone around you is awesome and like i kept talking about at the trials like it's a it takes a village and you got to create your own village you should be really proud of yourself for creating such an awesome village thank you so much okay. thank you this was fun i'm excited we did this thank you so much this was the indian sinophilist i hope you had fun uh I'll be back with more uh, on you know different topics and different stuff. Thank you.